This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. 17 seconds to go in the game. Out to McDuffie. Moves right. Pulls up. Blocked by Monk. Malik Monk and those long arms reject the shot. Shifting gears down the lane to the rim and a left-hand jackhammer jam by De'Aaron Fox. And Kentucky with a 54-39 lead with 10.45 to go in the second. In the front court now, it's Holland for Northern Kentucky. Crossover move. Cut off in the lane. On the wing to McDonald for three. And it's good! Drew McDonald makes it a seven-point game. Audio from the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament just a couple of weeks ago in Indianapolis, courtesy of Westwood One. The voice, Chris Carino. He did those games. Probably more well-known, though, as the voice of the Brooklyn Nets. Took over, uh, well, he, didn't, he, he started with the Nets in 1992 and then eventually worked his way up to being the play-by-play voice in the early 2000s. Uh, and personally speaking, I think one of the best play-by-play voices in the entirety of the NBA. He is our guest this week on Play-by-Play Cast. Brooklyn Nets voice, uh, NCAA tournament, NFL on Compass Media, uh, also does some Olympics on NBC, really uh, diverse portfolio. And, uh, and again, like I said, uh, one of the best guys in the NBA. And this episode in particular has a lot of interesting kind of wonky stuff in it. But one of my favorites that I've recorded here recently. So I'm looking forward to being able to share it here with you. Uh, house cleaning stuff off the top. Uh, we are on social media. You can find us at PXPCast on Twitter. You can find me at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Uh, the best thing that you can do to help grow this podcast and help continue this podcast is to let people know that you listen to it. Uh, That's the the number one endorsement we can get is when somebody out there who's hit play and who's subscribed and who's downloaded uh, lets somebody else know that they've enjoyed it. So if you uh, find one of our tweets that lets you know who the guest is or who an upcoming guest is uh, and you enjoy it, uh, give us a retweet or a quote tweet or um, just let us know that you've enjoyed an episode or where you're listening to an episode. Friend of the pod, Matt Park, uh, voice of the Syracuse Orange, who I believe was on episode 25 or 26. Don't hold me to that. Uh, you can scroll back through the, the previous episodes. They're all there, all the way back to Carter Blackburn on episode one. Uh, but he tweeted a picture of the beach where he was listening to our, our episode with Dan Schulman and our episode with, with Lisa Byington this past week. So uh, play-by-play cast goes really well with soothing beach sounds. I can attest to that through Matt now. Uh, but <laughs> let us know on social media if you're listening and if you've enjoyed uh, any episodes of the podcast. Chris Carino, though, is our guest, and uh, we'll get into kind of what we touch on here on the podcast, but I want to hit two uh, overarching topics off the top here. The first of which is that I first got into sports broadcasting by going to the Bruce Beck and Ian Eagle sports broadcasting camp back in the summer of 2003. 
it was advertised in a newspaper. My dad saw the advertisement, asked if I was interested. I signed up and the rest is history. I wanted to be a broadcaster. So clearly it had an impact on me. Uh, One of the people I met at that broadcasting camp, and it's really more a broadcasting conservatory, like camp kind of, I feel like camp sells it a little bit short. Uh, it, it's it's like a broadcasting clinic. <laughs> you get exposed to experiences and people and advice. And camp, I, it's a camp, but it, it's more like a, a conservatory or a clinic, I, I think is the, the better way to say it. Uh, but one of the people at that camp was Chris Carino. He was the voice of the New Jersey Nets, now the Brooklyn Nets, and he came in to speak to us. And as soon as he was done speaking, we had a break. And Chris hung around, and I went up to him and sat on the railing at the Yogi Berra Museum uh, where the New Jersey Jackals play baseball in Montclair, New Jersey, at Montclair State University. That's where the camp is. Uh, We sat down on the railing, and I just got the chance to pick his brain for, I don't it could have been 15 minutes, it could have been five, I don't remember. Uh, But I just remember sitting there and talking to Chris Carino. I don't remember what we talked about. Uh, I have no idea what he said at this point in time. It was more than 15 years ago. But what I do remember is meeting Chris Carino and the impact that he made on me in that moment in a week in which I decided I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And that's always stuck with me. Uh, Chris has taken over that broadcasting camp now. It's no longer the Bruce Beck and Ian Eagle sports broadcasting camp. It's now the Chris Carino and Tim Capstraw sports broadcasting camp. Uh, Tim is Chris's radio partner with the Nets. It'll be their first year doing it together as they're the headliners. Uh, it's July 24th through 28th this uh, this summer. So free plug there. Sportsbroadcastingcamp.com has all the information on that. If uh, you're young and you want to get a head start in sports broadcasting, uh, I highly recommend it. If you know anybody who wants to get into sports broadcasting or know anybody who has kids that want to get into sports broadcasting, again, I highly recommend it. The other thing I want to talk about with Chris Carino, if you Google him, you'll get some stuff about being the voice of the New Jersey Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, sorry. (laughs) Old habits die hard. But you'll also find a lot of articles about something totally non-broadcaster related. And that is that Chris Carino lives with a disorder called FSHD. It's a form of muscular dystrophy. And he went public with it in 2011. He was afflicted with it much uh, before then. Uh, Does not affect his ability to do his job at all. I mean, if you flip on the radio, you would have no idea. Absolutely no idea. But certainly, there are physical... Um, realities that come with that. Uh, Degenerative muscle-wasting disease for which there is currently no treatment or cure. Chris went public with the fact that he has FSHD in 2011 and founded the Chris Carino Foundation for FSHD. Uh, They got all the information for that at Chris Carino, two R's, ChrisCarinoFoundation.org. And uh, it's really remarkable. I was reading an article about the the, found, the 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 funding that that foundation came up with actually helped keep a study alive. There was a study that was that was running out of funding, and through the Chris Carino Foundation, the study which is looking for a cure and for you know if you can't get to a cure, something that can better the lives of those living with FSHD, 
through money that it got through the Chris Carino Foundation, that that study was able to continue. So when you talk about being a broadcaster and being a public figure for an NBA team or an MLB team or a college team or whoever you work for, never underestimate the power that you have. I also start this podcast with Chris talking about FSHD. The first person I worked for in this business is a guy named Jason Benetti, who is the television voice of the Chicago White Sox and does some stuff with ESPN and Westwood One. I'm sure you've, if you watch sports, you know who Jason Benetti is at this point. Um, Jason has cerebral palsy, and it's very well documented in a lot of the articles written about him that he, A, has cerebral palsy, but also one of the things I distinctly remember him saying, and it's been written up in stories as well, is that when he grew up as a kid watching sports on television, there wasn't anybody like him. He didn't turn on a TV and look at the screen and see somebody who looked like him, who had cerebral palsy. And one of the best things about Jason, outside of him being a great human and a great broadcaster, is that he's now given a face to cerebral palsy in the sense that there are thousands of kids and people that can now turn on ESPN or turn on CSN Chicago and see somebody that looks like them and say, I can do it too. And when I spoke to Chris Carino, I was curious off the top. Uh, I think there's only one or two questions about FSHD off the top, but I was curious right away as somebody who is a sports broadcaster and clearly then a public figure as one of the faces and voices of a sports team. What it meant to him going public with the fact that he had FSHD in 2011 and starting his foundation that he now created a face for other people that have this order to look at and say, there's somebody like me for a disorder that in the scheme of things is not all that common. And sometimes when you have it, not being able to interact with a ton of other people that are like you. I was curious the importance to Chris of being able to stand up in front of people now and say, I have FSHD. And for people to be able to look at him and say, I do too. And it's okay because I see what you do every day. And I see how successful you are and how good you are at what you do. And that makes me strive to do that as well. That's where we start play-by-play cast. This episode with the voice of the Brooklyn Nets, Chris Carino. Yeah, you know, it, it, I, do, I do have a platform and, and the slogan of our foundation is a voice for FSHD. And obviously I have a voice in the business. And it was, you know, it was, it was always me sort of procrastinating, waiting, saying, well, one day when I have a a bigger voice when I have more of a platform, when I'm on a network television one day, I'll have more of an impact. And you know, my wife, Laura was uh, the one who kind of said to me, well, you, you, you're always going to want more and you're always going to want bigger, but you do, you have accomplished a lot and you do have a voice right now and it would be time for you to start doing that. And, um, you know, it's one is, is giving voice to, um, 
uh, a cause that a lot of people don't know much about. Um, even doctors don't know a lot about it sometimes. So that requires uh, someone able to kind of speak up and let people know what FSHD is. And then the other part of it is dealing with people who are who are dealing with the same thing as me. And what kind of an example can I be, especially young people um, who are maybe just getting diagnosed and making their way into the world? And you know, part of me not wanting to know people or see people with it when I was younger, I, I think it might have been more psychologically trying to cope with it. Um, I didn't want to sort of look in the mirror at what I would be in X amount of years. Um, and I think that was just the way I kind of coped. Uh, but I do think that a lot of people really do need to see an example and do need to see people that are thriving in the world and and maybe spark something. And if I could just reach uh, one or two people who need that, then I'll accomplish what I set out to accomplish. What kind of questions has it kind of raised within the industry, guys that do what you do? And I, I imagine people knew or, or had a hunch, but uh, to see people ask questions that are fellow broadcasters that you work with and, and kind of see it raised to, to top of conscious with other people, uh, what was that experience like for you in the first kind of months and years afterward? You know, Joel, that's another part of what, why you, you, you sort of keep it hidden for a while is because you don't, you don't know how people are going to react. You don't want people to look at you any differently. Um, and I've always felt that when you do that, you now have two burdens. You know, you have the burden of, uh, of living with it, and you have the burden of hiding it. And I think it did come to a point where, you know, you get to that point. I think it could be with anybody that's dealing with a condition that they're trying to, to, to you know, go through the same experience where you finally get to a point where you realize you really can't hide it. You know, people see it. And um, once I got to that point, what I found uh, in, in the reaction that I got from everyone was what I should have expected, but you, you never know was more of a, you know, people coming to you looking to help and people looking and, and expressing their admiration for what you've been able to accomplish. Um, I think, I think more people you tell about your, your problems, uh, the, the more people come forward and want to help you, you know, and that's why, you know, we're in the communications business and you have to communicate um, your ideas and your platform to people, and you never know where, where the help is going to come from. You have to raise your hand. You have to humble yourself uh, to, to, to be helped. And, um, you know, that, the frustrating part of what you go through when you, when you have something like this with me and FSHD is that it doesn't hinder my ability to do the job. I mean, when I'm sitting in my seat and the ball's in the air and the game starts and the mic is on. I can do the job as good as anybody. Uh, but it's, sometimes it's getting to that seat. It's where you need help. And um, I've been really fortunate to everywhere I've gone and every turn um, to have people that have been helpful and try and, 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 and make it easier on me to do that job. And, uh, and I think that's, why, that's where you have to come out and talk about it and people will understand and you realize that your, your fears of how people are going to react to you, um, really were, were unnecessary fears because everyone's looking to help as much as they can. I appreciate you for, uh, appreciate your answering those, uh, too. Cause I know it's, um, 
a little bit off. No, the we have to, path, you know, so. I, I try and I, I, I want, I want to get out, and you know, you want to. That's part of my platform. And I always uh, say that you know, I have this, this, this voice now. So let me get out there and and uh, and express it. And you know, if anybody wants information, it's it's chriscarinofoundation.org. Sure. And uh, if you just text the word Carino with two R's to four one triple four. Uh, again, that's four one triple four. You just text the word Carino. You can make a pledge to make a donation. So Perfect. we'd appreciate anything that, that comes our way. I loved part of the uh, the story that I read too was your relationship with Tim Capstra, uh, your analyst, and uh, where Mike Breen called you an old married couple. Um, yeah. And, and I'm I'm curious because obviously that's where it is now. But fourteen fifteen years ago, if you can take me back to the beginning of that relationship uh, and how you fostered a friendship off air and then on air as well. Um, for uh, creating the best kind of a personal relationships, but b on air product you could get, and how that that all started uh, to get to where it is now. Well, you know, it, it, it really happened very quickly. I had worked a year with Kelly Chapuka, and um, they they brought Kelly over to the TV side, and they were trying to find a radio analyst, but I don't know if it was on top of the priority list of the of the management at the time, and. Uh, I remember I had gotten married and I went on my honeymoon and I came back and we had a month to go before the start of the season. And they told me they had been taking care of it. But anybody that had come their way, they, they found some kind of fault with or it didn't work out. And they said, well, you know, if you have anybody else. And um, it just turned out that I made a call to Jack Armstrong, who was a uh, was the analyst up in Toronto. And I had known Jack in his days coaching Niagara when I was a student at Fordham. And Jack was a Fordham guy, so he was part of that fraternity. And uh, he's a Brooklyn guy, and he, uh, he he had expressed an interest at a time of maybe coming back to this area. And I called him up, and he said, well, you know, I, I just did a new deal with the Raptors. I'm really happy up here, and my family loves it up here in Buffalo. But I do have a guy you should contact. And that guy was Tim Capstraw. So next thing I know, you know, Tim's calling me and he's sending me tapes and Mike Breen, who was a friend of his, is calling me. And uh, and I, I basically said to Tim, I said, well, you know, you have two guys that I highly respect in this business and, and Mike Breen and Jack Armstrong, who are, uh, you know, speaking uh, so highly of you. Uh, I saw your tape and, uh, you know, why don't you come in and just meet with me for a little while and then I'll introduce you to, to the, the powers that be. And... To be honest, you know, I'd heard his tape. It didn't have any NBA stuff. He had some, some some college TV stuff. I think he was in line to do St. John's at the time. And it wasn't great. It wasn't sort of NBA level. But um, from talking to him and, and knowing the people that he knew, I said to him, um, I don't know if, if you'll be great right away with this, but I think eventually you will be. I think you know enough people, you'll find that you'll – You'll know people and on every staff, guys that you coached with at some point in your career, um, and you'll be able to learn the league. And, you know, we had a good rapport from when I first met him. I just got a good, you know, you get a good feeling about someone when you meet them. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I just introduced him to the, the powers that be at the, that were running the Nets at the time, which was the, the same people that were running the Devils. And Lula Morello was the guy that he had to meet with. And, you know, kind of based on, I think, our recommendation and how late it was, you know, getting close to the season, uh, they gave they gave Tim the job. And um, that was, you know, 
15 years ago and and the team went all the way to the finals that year we got to do i think over 100 games that year together and uh it just it just worked really well and the, the one thing i said to tim uh when we were working together is i'm not going to tell you how to do this job and i'm not going to tell you when to talk and when not to talk we're, we're going to let it grow organically you know you just you let me call the play i'll get out of your way you know when to get out of my way we'll we'll you know, let's just try and not script it. Let's just see how it grows. And I think we've just always had a great chemistry and it just grew organically from there. Um, it's funny too. One of the things that we just talked about it recently because I didn't, I, I, I didn't remember when I said it, but he reminded me because uh, the late great John Andres just passed away in a long time uh, Knicks broadcaster. And Tim told me, he said, you know, it, it's funny, after it happened, we were talking, he said, you know, do you remember the, the thing you told me when I first got this job is, um, if you want to know how to do this, listen to John Andres. And, uh, and then I remembered, I said, yeah, you know, I always, I always thought John was, had the perfect combination of, 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 of um, knowledge and humor and, and how to get in and out. And he knew how to do radio and television. And, uh, I use that as an example and, uh, you know, I just, I just think we, we've personally have had great chemistry. We enjoy each other's company. We become, uh, great friends. Uh, and I think that comes through on the air. I'm curious about that. You, you kind of, you, you piqued my interest, but the whole way that that all came together, um, because the guy, the guy that I work with on a regular basis is, is awesome. And he's been doing it for 13, 14 years, but there's a handful of games every year where he doesn't do them and we have to find somebody to fill his spot and we kind of wind up making some different phone calls and see who's available. Um, and we've tried out a bunch of different people. Um, and in terms of the, the way that you fostered that relationship uh, and, and when you said, hey, I'm not going to tell you when to talk and you know, or, or when not to and all of that, uh, how, did you, how did you, I mean, take me inside the inner workings of all of that and, and how you got on the same page and how you got things to work uh, from day one. Well, I, I do think it, it does take two people who um, are, are worried about more about the quality of the broadcast than about their own performance. Uh, Tim is a, is a very unselfish broadcaster. I mean, he will point to a statistic on the stat monitor or point to a note sometimes um, that he thinks is important at that point that he thinks I'll deliver more quickly and uh, clearly than he will. And I mean, I think that's, that's an unselfish broadcaster right there. He's not worried about, I'm going to make this point. No, he thinks it'll sound better if it comes from me. And he may say, oh, the Nets are just, man, they're just, what, a, what an advantage they have today, uh, you know, with the pace they're playing. And he'll be pointing to the fast break points. And then I'll come in and say, you know, Nets have outscored the Pistons on the fast break 38 to 28. Interesting. And... It'll, it'll just, cause he knows I'll get it out better. So it just sounds better coming from me. And so he's, he's always worried about the broadcast itself. And when you have a guy too, who's unselfish like that, who's also humble. And if both of you are humble, you can talk about things. You can express, I could, I could say to Tim, Hey, you know, we're in the last three minutes here. Just, just kind of lay out until we get a break in the action. Let me, let me stay on top of the game. And, you know, when we, when we first started working together, it was easy for us to do that. 
you know, I'm not telling them overall here, here's this hard foot, uh, a steadfast rule. You don't talk here. You don't talk here. You talk here. No, it was like, well, we do it. We, and, and how it works out, we, we hear it. And then we, and I might say to him, Hey Tim, you know, just maybe if you just, you see the way the pace is going a little bit, make sure you just kind of, you know, let me get control of it, lay out a second. And he was fine with that kind of criticism. Um, so I think you have to, it's a little give and take, you know, you have to be humble enough to, to take advice, to take direction. And I think, you know, now we've gotten to a point where we, we, we've done all that over the years. Uh, so there's probably a rare occasion now after 15 years together that, um, he doesn't know, you know, how, how we want things to go in the, in the beginning of the game as opposed to the end of the game. You know, or we made, we've developed uh, the thing right now. It's funny where we, you know, he'll kind of be able to tell stories or we'll get into some more in-depth stuff in the second quarter of games because we say, yeah, you know what? If you're in your car right now and you're listening to a net game, that's, uh, it's the second quarter. I mean, the second quarter is probably the least crucial quarter of any of them. You know, the first you're trying to establish the game and the, 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 the personality of the game, and then obviously in the second half and it gets important. And the second quarter is like, why is somebody listening? <laughs> you know, obviously they want to hear the score of the game. They want to hear, they want to hear about the game. But, but we're, that's where we can get a little more in-depth in terms of telling stories, getting into a little more uh, deeper analysis, teaching about the game, stuff that sort of, the game becomes not that the game becomes secondary, but it's not as important to be as dug in in that quarter. And so that's something that's just kind of developed over conversations and us doing it. Say, yeah, that's second quarter file. That's something we should bring up in the second quarter tonight. You know that kind of thing. So I, I think, like anything, you know, your communicators and when you have good um, rapport, that kind of stuff develops. Now I'm not saying that will happen with everybody. That's just the way it's happened with him and I. And I think it's an example of how it could happen if you're open to being humble and honest and and thinking of the broadcast first more than yourself. This may get a little wonky, uh, but we're on a podcast. So uh, um, what are the types of things you guys do in the second quarter and uh, how do you weave those in? Um, and I know it's probably different based on each individual thing, but what's the approach you take to get to stuff so that it's not necessarily just hitting somebody over the head with it, but that it makes sense in the course of what you guys are putting together. Well, it can go from anything uh, to, to, you know, just being funny or, or being uh, descriptive or being educational about the game. I mean, Tim was an old coach and he teaches kids during the summer in his camp. So he may make a comment about turning your back to the ball. And, and then I may just say, Hey, you know, you teach kids. What is the what's the fundamental there? What's the fundamental that you're trying to teach? And and he'll get into an, an explanation, almost like how you do a baseball game. You're telling a story and you just give a count every once in a while. Sure. You know, keep the story. Same kind of thing. He's like, well, you know, you want to keep make sure you see ball, you man. You know, and, and he'll get into that, and I'll just give you, you know, uh, you know. Uh, Lopez, you know, the uh, bucket. Got, you know, Lopez uh, from the block, turn around, shot, won't go, rebound about this. And he'll be like, yeah, you know, you have to make sure that your head's on a swivel. And you're, but, you know, so he'll just get into that. Or, you know, I may just, last night, I think, as we take this, the game was last night against Philadelphia. And um, I think we got into a, I, I, I might have described something very 
distinctly, and Tim noted it. He said, wow, that was a great uh, description that you just had. And he said, you know what? I had somebody, uh, people telling me how great you were in the NCAA tournament, and, and somebody asked me if, if you knew Marty Glickman. And I said, my, my goodness, you know, he, he learned from Marty Glickman. And then I started telling a story about Marty. And, uh, you know, so we started getting into a little bit of, of, of my history and then what Marty Glickman taught me. And, uh, and that went for a few, you know, possessions back and forth. Or, you know, we may, we may go, go off on tangents that we never thought we would ever talk about, you know. And uh, it's just something that I think you – in a way, I mean, it's all about the game, but it's also we know we're trying to be entertaining. And at points in the game where the game is not really the star uh, or doesn't have to be, uh, if we have a way that we could be entertaining, I think that's what we end up doing. I literally have at the top of my paper, what did you learn from Marty? Um, so, so now that you mentioned it, uh, <laughs> Good segue. if I can swing it that way, um, what did you learn from Marty Glickman? Well, and, and if people know Marty Glickman, uh, legendary broadcaster who basically invented play-by-play on the radio. Yeah. I mean, he invented basketball play-by-play on the radio. Uh, a Brooklyn native, went to Syracuse, was an All-American football player and a track star. was on the 1936 Olympic team uh, and basically was a guy who taught Marv Albert and kind of created that broadcasting tree on the East Coast. Uh, when I went to Fordham University, the first week I was on campus, I went to the radio station and I signed up for a sports broadcasting workshop and I met Marty Glickman. He was there to talk to all the sports announcers at the station, WFUV. Uh, and once a week, every Tuesday, I call you know, you know, the book Tuesday, Tuesdays with Maury, this was Tuesdays with Marty. <laughs> and I sat in on the first workshop. I was a freshman, maybe the second week I was on campus and I realized I knew nothing about how to do play by play properly on the radio. And Marty, who was sort of late in his career at the time, he was the voice of the jets on radio at the time. He was the voice of the giants and the Knicks for a very, very for decades. But he was at the end, he was, he was doing the jet games with Dave Jennings on the old W on WCBS news, CBS in New York. And he would just go over our tapes and tell stories and give us his overall philosophy on how to do the game. And, you know, the mantra that Marty had is always consider the listener. And that's something that I still think about today, always, even in just to give you an example of what we just did in this last minute. You asked me about Marty Glickman. I gave you a little succinct synopsis of who Marty was, because maybe one of your listeners might have heard Marty Glickman and said, hey, what did I learn from Marty Glickman? And he may have been thinking, well, who's Marty Glickman? Um, so you're always thinking about that person listening. That's always in my head. You're always trying to listen to yourself and know, all right, what does the person need to hear, want to hear, and what can you deliver for them? And so that's always in my head. Marty's been gone for over a decade, but it's still in my head. Every broadcast in his voice, consider the listener. And, um, that's the biggest part of it. And then it's always about, he taught me everything from, you know, painting the word picture and creating that picture of what you're seeing in the mind of the listener. Um, little examples. I mean, just the court geography he has the ball top of the key pass to the right wing. Is he in front of the arc? Is he behind the arc? I don't know if Marty ever taught me that, but in my head, 
it's always what does the person see when they look at a game? And what are the distinguishing marks on the floor that are noticeable right away? And how can you put people into places on the floor next to those marks where people now see the game? You know, top of the arc, top of the key, uh, on the right block, on the left block, at the right elbow, the left elbow, from the left corner, in front of the net bench. You know, things that they can see that help create that picture in your mind. And that's sort of the basis. I mean, I could go on for hours about that. And um, if you want to come to New Jersey, we have a camp that I know you, you've been a part of. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll spend a week on this stuff. But, but that's basically the premise of, of what Marty taught me. And, and how to be a, just, and then so many stories about the business and just how to be a professional and interact with people is, is something that Marty was invaluable for. Uh, there's the HBO special, which if people haven't seen, um, they should go check out. But uh, when it came out, um, it's still on my DVR to this day, actually. Um, but when it, when it when it came out, the uh, the Star Ledger did a write up on it, and you were quoted in there um, saying that he used very specific words. I mean, that could go in a lot of different uh, ways. There's the, the there's the obvious. Well, describe something as cleanly as possible, but, but what did you mean beyond maybe that as far as when he used very specific words? Well, Marty was more like a, um, he was more like Ernest Hemingway than F. Scott Fitzgerald, because like in terms of you, you are sort of a, a writer and an author as you're doing this. And whereas, you know, Hemingway would say the day was cold and, and, uh, or, you know, the, the sky was blue. <laughs> he ran into a, lot, a fierce lion on the green grass. It was very distinct and succinct and direct. And where Fitzgerald's a little more flowery, uh, you know. Um, so there was kind of the distinction. Marty's just very distinct and direct. The ball, you know, he dribbles the ball with the right hand at the top of the key. You know, and, and sometimes, uh, uh, young broadcasters may make the mistake of talking in cliches or using words that they would not use in, in day-to-day life. Uh, whereas Marty was just, he rebounded the ball. He grabbed it. He dove on the floor and, 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 and dove on top of the ball, you know, in that very authoritative tone that he had. So it was just direct, be precise, and describe the action as you see it. That's kind of what I, I guess I was directing that at. How does that ring with you now today, too, in the in the way that you broadcast in terms of vocabulary? And, uh, you know, people will talk about different words and different ways to describe things, but I think it's a really good point as far as using words that you would use every day uh, versus using words for the sake of using them. Um, what's your approach to, to how you describe things in terms of not being overly repetitive, but at the same time, not being overly ridiculous, I guess. Well, I think you do. I mean, that's part of one of the things that that broadcasters always say is, you know, you want to, you want to sort of diversify your words so that you're not becoming repetitive. But I, I think if you always think in terms of being descriptive, that will help you in terms of, being uh, diversified with your words and your verbiage. In other words, does he 
Does he make a pass? Does he lob a pass? Does he snap a pass? Does he fire a pass? You're not just saying these words, um, throwing them out there as a way of using different verbs. It's each one relays a different description. And I'm not just, I'm not going to use all those, those verbs that I just used to say pass. They don't describe the same pass. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you make a pass a little touch. Sometimes you, you throw it really hard. Sometimes you throw it like a baseball across the field. Sometimes you lay it in like Peyton Manning, you know, throwing a football pass down the sideline. You know, there's all something you bounce it. You know, sometimes you one hand it, you, you, you two hand it. You, you want to do all these things, a rebound. Sometimes you just control the rebound. Sometimes a rebound falls into his hand. Sometimes it bounces off the floor and he grabs it. Or sometimes he snatches it. Um, sometimes he jumps to grab it. Uh, those are all, all different terms that you're sort of using to, to spice it up, but they're all descriptive. And I think if you always go along the lines of being as descriptive as you possibly can with as few words as you possibly can, I think that's, that's the Glickman way. That's the way you're, you're going to diversify your broadcast and paint a better picture. And that's something that I work on today, to this day. I mean, every day I want to get better at doing that. And I think that's a, a real important thing for young broadcasters to learn. How do you get a control of the pace of your broadcast? Uh, I mean, I, I think you're probably generally considered a really easy listen um, and that mm. you always have a sense of what's going on and it's easily digestible. And the one thing, I mean, just speaking about me, like I'll listen back to something I do and go, there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. How do you how, how do you play self-editor and do something so that you're getting enough detail so that it's not bare bones, but you're not mm-hmm. overbearing somebody with so much that's going on. The the more, sometimes you can you can distort the picture with too much description. If I try to tell you he dribbles it three times with his right hand, three feet behind the arc as he moves it to the right with three steps and bounces it off across the lane to the to his guard who is wearing a blue uniform with white stripes. And you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. just if you got <laughs> so descriptive, you can just muddy the picture. Um, so you have to know what to, what to put in and what to leave out. And obviously I've done you know, thousands, over a thousand NBA games. Sure. Uh, I've got a lot of practice and it's not something I'm sure I was as good at 10 years ago as I am right now. Uh, so it is something that you have to, I, I always call, you know, play by play, especially with a game like basketball. I'm sure I've never done hockey, but if you did it, I would imagine it's the same way. Um, it's, it's like a rodeo. It's one of those, those bucking Broncos and you're trying to, (laughs) you're just trying to ride it out and you're trying to lasso it and control it. Um, and sometimes you can't describe every pass as you get better. Maybe you can. Um, and I've always been, and I, and I appreciate your, your sentiment about uh, saying I'm an easy listen, because that's what I try to be. I, I try to be intense and relay the emotion of the game, but I, I try not to yell at you. Uh, and I think that's really important. I like to you know, be a little softer at times so that you're not just being hammered, um, especially in something that can be very easy to hammer when you're, you're doing a basketball game and it's up and down. And you're, But I, no, I want to let it breathe a little bit, but at the same time be descriptive. And 
It's hard. It's hard to describe how to get control of a game. That might be one of the hardest things to do. And it's something that just comes with description and, and comes with practice. And I think for a young broadcaster, um, the, the great thing about doing this and trying to get better is that you don't need to be on the air to do it. You could be in, talking into your phone on a in recording it, watching a game at home, um, and you can get game after game after game to practice and get better and listen to your stuff and you know listen back to it. How does it sound right now? Is my pace um, too fast? Am I muddying the picture? Am I not getting control of it right now? And if you have to leave out certain things, just remember what's the key element that I need here? What are the key things that I need? And as you get more control and as you're able to speak a little quicker but still be understood, then you can throw in little details that will add to it. You'll, you'll be able to say, um, you know, brings it from right to left into the front court, wearing the road blue as he snaps it right on the wing, a nice catch on the wing with two hands made by Jones as he cuts left to the foul line inside with a wrong-footed runner that's no good. Now, that if you're maybe a little less experienced and you're trying to get control, maybe you took out the blue uniform. Maybe you took out the um, made a nice catch with two hands and maybe you took out the wrong footed runner, but as long as you have gets it across the line, passes it right on the wing, he makes the catch and takes a move into the lane and the runner is good. You still got the description. You still got the gist of it. It was still under control, but you took out a, a few little elements that would have made it feel rushed for you. Now, maybe 10 years from now, when you do it and you're not as rushed, you'll be able to get a little of those elements in and and it will be really descriptive, more descriptive than you were doing it 10 years ago and, and able to do it while it's not rushed. And that's something that's just, that's going to come with time and experience. And, you know, you, that's why, as Tim would say to me, that's why they put experience on resumes. <laughs> that's it. I'd, I'd never know? heard that saying. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, with experience, you get better. Yeah, right. I have two more kind of overarching topics uh, that I want to get to, and I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, so I'll touch on those quickly. But it, And maybe this reverts back to what we talked about with the second quarter stuff. Uh, but particularly in recent years, obviously the Nets have not been the team they were 15 years ago uh, when they went to the finals. Uh, how do you approach calling games for teams that are just not winning on a regular basis? And you, I mean, you've got to address the elephant in the room, but at the same point... Uh, you still want to deliver a product that's interesting and exciting and um, deliver something that, that people want to tune into. Yeah, and I've had my practice of, of <laughs> doing... Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm the first two years I did this full-time for the Nets, the Nets went to the finals. You know, so I, I've, I've experienced that, and then I've experienced a 12-win season. Um, and they're, they're all very different. And... I think that you go back, and this is something Marty Glickman taught me again early on. When when I was at Fordham, the first year I was I was doing uh, the play by play as a sophomore of the football team. They had just moved from Division Three to One Double A, and they were in the Patriot League. And they went from playing schools like Stony Brook to playing schools like Lehigh and Colgate, and they were getting destroyed. I mean, the first division one double a game I did was first game of the year. They're at Colgate. They're down 35, nothing at the half. And 
Marty's lesson was, well, there's something interesting about this game. Uh, obviously, Colgate is playing well. Talk about them. What's interesting about them? What have they been able to do? And you said, you know, you find you, there, there are storylines to every game. And, yeah, some games are a little tougher to find storylines, but over the course of a, of a season and a narrative, there are certainly things that you can discuss. Now, that's more in line with, you know, pregame show, Post game, that kind of thing. When you when you're doing the game, um, the game is what matters. So especially on radio, just do the game, and you don't need to to interject negative commentary at all time or beat a dead horse. You point things out. I mean, if if the team is once again struggling to take care of the ball, and that's been an issue all year, and that's a part of the reason why they haven't had success. And you'll point out the turnovers again. You'll point out why are the turnovers coming and, and, and be informed and try and inform the listener. And then I do think you, you enter in the element we were talking about sort of second quarter stuff is, Hey, let's do, let's, let's talk about things that'll keep fans entertained. Why does somebody want to listen to this 13 win team right now? Well, some of it is the opponent. You know, let's talk about them. They're an interesting story. Uh, some of it is, you know, Tim was an old coach. Let's talk about coaching points. Let's talk about things we're seeing in the game that a kid could learn from. And some of it is, hey, Tim and I have a great report. We're almost like a talk show team. Hey, let's just get into some stuff that might be funny, that might be interesting, things I just, something I just read. What do you think? Um, that will go back and forth. Just keep people entertained and, uh, you know, not be boring, you know, and, and I think there are plenty of things to talk about. I mean, Tim and I are just, we're two guys in the bar uh, yeah. watching the game. And sometimes the game's good, sometimes the game's bad, sometimes the game's interesting, sometimes it's not. But we'll find a way to make it that way. And I think that's the way you have to approach it. Last thing I wanted to get to with you, and I, I, I appreciate that too, because I, I broadcast mm-hmm. a five and a seven win team over the last couple of years and we, we win more now here at Ball States. So that's good. Uh, but I, I was curious because there were some ups and downs to, to navigating through that. Um, but yeah. we, ta- we talked about the NCAA tournament when, uh, when we first got on the phone here uh, before we started rolling. Um, and I was curious if you can get into how you do some of that from the standpoint of having to learn, what is it, I guess eight teams for, for day one? Um, mm-hmm. in in three days, uh, and uh, yeah. and being able to prepare for something like that to the degree where if I took your charts away, you'd still be confident in, in who you're talking about, uh, and and getting it done efficiently and effectively. Well, I will say this: in in, in an NBA game, if you took my charts away, I can get through it. Maybe the Sixers would have gave me a challenge last night, where you know Luwalu. Cabarro and knowing about guys like that and Sean Long, who I wouldn't know if he had walked into the room. Uh, and so I needed that in front of me a little bit. But uh, if you took my charts away that first day of the NCAA tournament, I'd have to, I'd have to come find you and kill you. <laughs> that would kill me because I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, no, and, and the, the first time I did it, this was the second year that I did it, uh, I, I got great advice from, from Howie Denneroff, who runs Westwood One, who hired me to do the games. And he, he said to me, Hey, you're not going to be able, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're not going to be able to prepare for these eight teams the way you would like to, the way you normally would. Just get yourself, get the basics down and be able to do the games. Don't, 
you know, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to do the same level of preparation that I know you do normally would. And that sort of put my mind at ease, like, all right, well, you know what? You're right. Let me just get, um, let me just get these players down, uh, some of the names down. And then I'll, if I can, I'll try and If I have some time at the end, I'll try and fill in some blanks. Uh, so I think you do end up, I, I know that I do end up paying a little more attention to college basketball during the year, knowing that I'm going to do a few college games before the end of the season. And then I'm going to do the tournament. So, uh, whereas last year I didn't, it was kind of, I was a late addition. I didn't know I was doing the tournament until about, uh, about three weeks before, uh, two weeks before, um, this time I knew the whole season that I was going to be doing it. So I kind of paid more, uh, closer attention to the college game, you know, which is easy because, you know, I just, I love basketball. So it's just, you know, it's not that I'm studying it, but I just, during the course of the year, I make sure I tune into some big games and I have uh, some time free. I watch some games and read about it a little more than I, than I normally did. There's a lot of guys in the NBA, they don't even pay attention to the college game at all, uh, vice versa, you know, because it's just it's so much to keep track of. Um, and, then, and then again, you don't know what eight teams you're going to get. Uh, but I think that was, it, it's funny because you, you, you kind of, I was doing a net game the night that I get the teams. So now obviously I can't dive into it that night. Um, but the next morning I come home and uh, wake up early and just start digging in uh, to the eight teams and what an error, what in, in, invariably happens is you take the, I try and start from the first game of the day and I take those two teams and start to prepare. And then I realized all of a sudden it's, it's, uh, it's lunchtime and I've only gotten through, you know, not even two teams yet. And I go, wait a minute, I, I'm spending too long now because <laughs> the first one you start to spend, you just, you know, you get, you really get in depth and you try and prepare, you try and go through all, everything you can find on the internet of these players and, and you watch a little bit of one of their games and, and then you go, wait a minute, I'm, um, I got to budget my, my time a little bit and, and make sure I only spend, you know, whatever it might be, two hours per team so that I can, I can get through all of them before I have to now travel on that third day and get to the practice day. And you got to sort of, you know, buy your time that way. So um, then you start to do it and then uh, you do as much as you can. I try and watch the teams. So I would, I would do my basic chart so that I have the, the color coded numbers and names in front of me. And then I will put on the game uh, a tape from a game that I'm able to download and through a service and just watch it and just get a sense of, all right, looking at the guys, matching the faces to the names and the numbers and, uh, and just getting a sense of what they look like and try and do a little practice play by play. Um, and then, you know, you go through the week just kind of doing that. The problem is you get to the eighth team and then you try to think, and I can't for the life of me, remember one player who plays from the first team that I studied. <laughs> so you have to go back and you got to try and, you know, refresh yourself again. And, um, and then, you know, you know, you basically get everything down, your, your basic charts done. You've tried to get some information on, on all the guys that you can. Um, I guess either luckily or, or, or fortunately or not, there isn't as much information on a lot of these guys as you get in the NBA. True. So in a way it's a, it's a, it's, it's, you know, I like to have a lot more information on guys, but at the same time, it, it stops me from really taking so much time stuck on one team or one player and, you know, going through that kind of stuff. But, um, but then you get to the, they get to the site and, 
you spend the, the one practice day talking to all the coaches and getting a chance to see a little bit of the, of the, of the teams in person as much as you can because you're kind of being dragged from the room to do interviews with the coaches, trying to sneak out to watch the team practice. Then you go, oh, well, they got John Beeline's in the room. you got to get in there, and you go and you leave, and now you had to stop watching the, the team that you were watching. And So it's a little bit of a hectic day there, that first day and a long day. But you do get a better sense of the team by talking to the coaches and, and being able to look at the teams in person. I take my charts out literally and watch them shooting around and try and get a sense of who the guys are. Um, and then when you get to the, in the game itself, uh, you have your charts out, you're watching, so that it's familiar now, the teams, and you're still not. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I memorized every player on Northern Kentucky, um, but you... Uh, I'm prepared as much as I can, and as the game starts to go, I'm looking at my chart, looking up. Um, Ian Eagle used to say to me, hopefully you get teams that have names on the back of their uniform. <laughs> uh, that's important so that you can look up and you can see, you can kind of see the name without looking down at your chart. Um, but then you kind of get in a rhythm the first few minutes of the game and little tricks that you can play to know that in your mind, however you might memorize a, a guy and, and what he looks like and what his name is. Um, and then as the game gets going along, you get in a rhythm where now you, you know the team and you know the guys and you know the players. And, and now you can do the game a little bit. It's like it's sort of like playing for a signing a 10-day and going to a team and you don't know the plays. And you're just out there trying to remember stuff and trying to remember what the coaches told you and trying to remember what they went through in practice. And it's hard for you to sort of, you just kind of do the basics and it's hard for you to really show your game. But then once you get the play calls down and you know what you're doing, now you're a little more comfortable and you can let your game kind of shine through a little bit. And I think that's where you come through. I mean, by that second day where I, I've seen now a team, you know, let's say the games are on Friday, now it's Sunday and I'm down to those four teams. Now I know those teams really well. And, you know, so like this year I had, you know, Louisville, Michigan, which are obviously a team that I had seen prior and, and then having done their game and having talked to their coaches and now knowing their players down without even looking at the, at the roster when they come in, at least the star players. Um, now I can kind of let loose and, and be more of the play by play guy that I am. Uh, so that was, that's fun. Uh, once you can get to that, to that level, but, uh, it's it's definitely a challenge. It's a grueling thing, um, especially keeping your voice for four games True. on that one day um, and, and being able to bring the energy and the excitement, but at the same time, preserve your voice a little bit for a, for a long day, especially on radio. You can't really lay out, and especially when you're on national radio where you have to get excited for both teams. There's never <laughs> a chance to sort of, to sort of lay out, so... It's a challenge, but it definitely, as we meant, again, like we talked about experience on the resume, it, I, was, I felt like I dealt with it a little better in year two than I did in year one, and hopefully if there's a year three, it'll be even better. Well, thank you for making me no longer want to call the NCAA tournament. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So you think you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. That is the voice of the Brooklyn Nets, Chris Carino, and I, I said at the end of the, uh, the interview with him, and I thanked him and said, hey, I don't know what I can ever do to, to pay the favor back. But if there is anything, uh, I'm always happy to help. Please let me know. And, and one of the things he said, uh, kind of jokingly, but I'm, I'm sure kind of seriously as well, is, hey, promote the camp uh, that we talked about off the top. So, hey, sportsbroadcastingcamp.com. It's the Chris Carino and Tim Capstraw. I'm not even going to call it a camp anymore. Sports Broadcasting uh, Conservatory, because that's really what it is. It's fun. 
but you get hands-on and you really learn what this stuff is about. And uh, it's the reason I'm a sports broadcaster. It's the reason there are a lot of us out there, um, the millennial age and a little bit younger, uh, that have been impacted by that camp. So do, if you live in the metro New York area or somewhere nearby that, check out sportsbroadcastingcamp.com, the, the uh, Chris Carino and Tim Capstraw sports broadcasting camp. This was really one of my favorite interviews, though. A lot of good stuff about the technicalities of calling a basketball game. I loved uh, the second quarter stuff. I thought that was really interesting, and uh, it's something I'm going to try to apply next year. Uh, I loved the interaction with Tim Capstraw and how he built that rapport and how he works with his analyst. All stuff that while I'm sitting there listening to Chris, I'm like, you know what? I can be better at this. Uh, David Eha is my partner on basketball, Rich Spizak on football, and I was thinking like, I, I owe it to Dave and Rich. Next year, I can be better in these areas. Uh, and, and we can take a leap forward as far as that is concerned in our broadcasts. So uh, I'm looking forward to being able to get back on the mic next year and do that as well. Uh, I, I love this episode. So uh, many thanks to Chris again for, for joining us here on Play by Play Cast. Uh, our guest next week is Mike Corey from ESPN, who has an interesting career arc for those of you out there that work in college athletics. Uh, Mike, the 13-year voice of the Delaware Blue Hens, and did some TV work in there as well, and then started doing some Olympics work before parlaying that into a network job with ESPN. So Mike Corey is our guest on Play by Play Cast next week. Hopefully you'll join us then and every Friday morning. If you've missed any episodes, you can always scroll back. Our archives are free. All, I don't know, 43 episodes, I think, at this point now. 42 episodes, I think, at this point now. You can scroll back through and catch all of those uh, from Chris Carino and last week, Michael Regai, all the way back to uh, episode number one. Carter Blackburn. Until next Friday, though, uh, they are playing the marshmallow, so time for us to go. This has been Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Goodett. Thanks you for always hitting download or subscribe. We'll talk to you next Friday. Right back here. See ya.